0: Just this year, there have been reports of journalists having their data exposed uh, in China. There have been reports of TikTok creators having their financial data sent to China. When Texas passes a law that would prohibit social media platforms from posting teens on a site where they can see quote unquote grooming content, what I see is an opportunity for Texas's attorney general to sue major social media platforms to take down lgbtq content
1: pay attention to how they're spending their time on social media and uh, be involved in their life do not let the internet raid your kids welcome to the purple political breakdown i am glad you are here and i'm glad you are listening to today's podcast episode My mission in each and every one of these episodes is to really focus on the solutions to some of the biggest questions and most controversial topics going on in our current society. I feel like most of these conversations are not truly being discussed in a more logical and respectful manner due to the political toxicity that goes on with both the left and the right, both the Democrats and the Republicans. In this podcast, I don't care about any of that. I am focused on the solutions. I'm focused on bridging gaps. If you want to join me on this journey, if you want to discuss some of the most important topics, if you are tired of the political toxicity and negativity from both sides, please support this channel, share the podcast, and go to my website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. I appreciate the support, I'll continue to make content, and hopefully we can start bridging these gaps and focusing on real issues going on in our world. Welcome back to the Purple Political Breakdown, I'm your host Riddell Lewis, and today we're doing episode number 25, as we're going to talk about should we have national legislation in reference to social media use for teens, for kids, for toddlers, etc, etc. I'm going to have that conversation today with my guest his name is Chris and we're going to really dive into the nitty gritty on the harms of social media and whether this is even something we should do as a federal government. Before we dive into the topic of choice, of course, I'm going to start off by listening to a review that has been dropped on my podcast. If you want to be shouted out for a future episode, leave a review so I can say your thoughts on a future podcast episode. Today, I'm talking from or I'm reading a review off of from the fallible man. He said it was refreshing to find a fairly neutral and open political conversation, actual conversation, real discussion. Thanks for that. Appreciate you. That's what we try to do here. That's what this platform is for. That's what these shows are for. That's what these podcast episodes are for, to have actual conversations, come up with actual solutions And kind of forget all about about all that political bias and toxicity and really try to dive into things a lot more, I would say, logical, in my personal opinion. Because I feel like there's plenty of solutions we can uh, dive into, but I, for some reason, because of this political toxicity and political bias, we never really are able to get to them properly, right? Uh, Especially with the implementation of social media And how it's really kind of warped society in a very unique way. And because how people interact with, well, one, the person-to-person connection kind of changes how people interact with other people. They they kind of lose those social skills. They kind of feed into the extreme and the negativity and the toxicity. But it seems my guest is here, so let's hop in. So I want to kind of start out by letting you... The you introduce yourself, uh, tell what you're about, um, and how you're kind of involved with this type of discussion topic we're d- talking about today.
0: Sure. Uh, you know, my name Chris McKenzie. I'm the communications director at Chamber of Progress. I've spent most of the last decade working for Democratic campaigns, actually, and, uh, and lawmakers in red states and rural communities. Uh, so, from Alabama to Oklahoma, to Western Maryland, all very purple areas. Uh, I've been at Chamber of Progress pretty much since our organization was founded two years ago. And Chamber of Progress is a center-left tech industry policy coalition promoting technology's progressive future. We work to ensure that all Americans benefit from technological leaps. Our partners include uh, tech companies like Amazon, Apple, Meta, Google, and dozens of others, but our partners don't have a vote or a veto over our positions.
1: Okay, okay. Um, very interesting how you how you're kind of diving into the technological aspect and try to show the the importance it will have moving forward in terms of society as a whole. Um, is that? I'm curious because you did say center left when when you're referencing it, because. Um, I never really thought about, you know, the the political spectrum for the advancement of technology. So is there like is this more is there like an opposite side where it's there is the same kind of process, but they do it for more center right or right leaning political agendas? Or is this mostly a thing you see for like the center left or the left?
0: I'm sure. I mean, first of all, I would say this is a sign that I've probably worked in D.C. too long that I sometimes see policy from a partisan angle and I can always see the left-leaning perspective here. Um, but I would say uh, industry-friendly groups are actually traditionally the arena of the political right. You have groups like Chamber of Commerce that have for more than 100 years Kind of represented the interests of conservative business right so we're a new industry coalition and we're looking at how can we advocate for industry pro-industry policies that are also that also align with progressive values right such as uh equality
1: okay okay um i definitely get what you mean when it comes to like usually when of you reference conservatives are corporations you may think you know on the right in terms of like industry but it does seem like nowadays they're definitely leaning more on the left and uh for more corporations especially with like a lot of things that i look over for like um something with the esg something with george Soros, or something, the cai scores um so it's very interesting to see like corporations more and more popping up that's more left-leaning because the, the tide is really shift where back in the day the right was like oh big business big business but a lot of them they're like now nah, we hate all big business and now all of them are left-leaning so do you think that the tide will eventually shift back toward the right or do you think it will just continuously move to more and more to the left
0: Sure, I, I disagree with the premise. I actually think that most of big business probably still leans conservative, right? It's still very anti-regulatory. They don't want to be regulated by the government. Sure, yeah. Uh, and Democrats are generally more pro-regulation than Republicans are. In some areas, like ESG, there's some alignment between corporate interests and Democratic interests. And I think what's gotten Republicans angry about this is that, again, the, the arena, the private sector, has traditionally been an area of support for Republicans. So seeing the Chamber of Commerce endorse, endorse the first few Democrats during one of the last congressional election cycles made a lot of people really mad, right? But I think we've seen kind of a breakdown in that, again, that uh, single-party support from industry for Republicans. And now there's actually a little bit of a split. Right. Again, on on some issues like ESG, there's some more alignment with Democratic uh, organizations and politicians than with Republicans. But uh, I I don't think it's one way or the other right now. Okay.
1: fair enough, fair enough. So before we dive into the topic at hand and really dive into social media, um, I always kind of go over some, you know, interesting news that is going on, especially relating to the topic at hand. And one thing that has uh, been going on is reference to TikTok, for example. You know, there's been a lot of criticism from TikTok from a lot of like mostly, you know, Republicans and people on the right. Matter of fact, Mon- Montana wants to ban TikTok altogether and TikTok in response doesn't like that. So they're trying to sue Montana, of course. So, um, I'm curious on your thoughts because this, you know, you're, like you said, more center left. Uh, what do you think about Montana or what do you think about any states trying to ban a social media platform, even though technically it originated from a country that's not the United
0: States? Sure. Well, I, I think to answer your question really succinctly, I don't think it is the, uh, the it is within the authority of a state to ban TikTok. Uh, But the federal government, on the other hand, does have that authority. So to zoom out on your question a little bit, uh, you know, the the idea of a TikTok ban, I think is one of the sexiest issues in tech policy today, right? It's really caught the attention of a lot of the news. And we have a really unsexy position on that, which is that it's all in the nuance, right? Um, I think that it that TikTok poses a a very credible national security risk and our organization has taken the stance that Biden should conduct a thorough review through CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Uh, And if that assessment reveals serious national security risks, they should force TikTok's parent company Bitdance to divest from TikTok. Right. Of course, you can only force that divestment if you follow it up with a credible threat to actually ban TikTok if they right. don't divest.
1: So that was that,
0: that. was. I feel like that was a very complex answer to your question. So let me know if, if there's a part of that that I can kind of reach in and clarify.
1: Well, I mean, one thing that you, I feel like people should understand, because you mentioned if it possesses a national security risk, that's like that's a big part on you know, people wanting or not wanting to ban TikTok at the end of the day. What national security risk do you really think TikTok can
0: have for the United States? This is a great question. So I think there are two types of risks that TikTok, as it's currently owned uh, with its uh, Chinese parent company, poses to the United States. One is a privacy risk, right? It is not just that they have our personal data. These all sorts of apps have our data. But it's that the Chinese Communist Party has access to that data through ByteDance, uh, which, although it says it's storing data in the United States, there is a long and storied history there of that data actually making its way to China at the end of the day. The second risk that TikTok poses to us is one of content moderation, right? The TikTok app answers to its Chinese parent company and its Chinese parent company answers to the Chinese Communist Party. And so at the end of the day, who's making those content moderation decisions about what posts get taken down, what posts get promoted. There again is a history there of TikTok taking down content related to say, Uyghur Muslims uh, from China who have faced a long history of discrimination in that country. So those are, those are two big concerns. And TikTok has repeatedly claimed that those are not concerns. But again, we've seen over the course of the last four or five years, this resurface again and again and again. Just this year, there have been reports of journalists having their data exposed uh, in China. There have been reports of TikTok creators having their financial data sent to China. Uh, so we hear this story resurface maybe every couple of weeks, and to me, uh, I would I would describe this uh, similar to let's say you're you're hiking and you get a sprained ankle, right? You you have all the symptoms of having a sprained ankle. You know it's swollen, you can't walk on it, etc. And you know you need physical therapy for it. But in order to get physical therapy, you're going to have to go to a doctor and get that official diagnosis and get referred, right? We have all the symptoms of TikTok presenting serious privacy and content moderation risks, but we need to go through the CFIUS process and take an official look at that, really get a diagnosis before Biden can take executive action in a legal constitutional way. Right? because at the end of the day, there are some First Amendment concerns if you're banning an app from the United States. The First yeah. Amendment doesn't just apply to the speech that we say. It also applies to the speech that we hear, that the speech that we can read, right? So if you are going to uh, you know abridge that right in any way, there needs to be uh, a credible you know look at the national security threat that this app poses.
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, understand a lot of the things you're saying. I I feel like people, I do, I think most citizens recognize, okay, yeah, we don't want another country to have this type of information. If it's the United States government, I'll be upset, but it's my own country. But then there's, you know, we know that there are a lot of people who really just don't like the United States, even though they live here. So they're really not going to buy that excuse until something goes on, right? right? So it's just one of those unfortunate things. And that's why we need, uh, like you said, We need to kind of dive into it more and more until we're actually like officially sure. Yeah, this is definitely a problem. Let's take action, of course. And I think, well, this is actually going to go hand in hand with the conversation we're about to talk about in reference to the First Amendment, in reference to um, the risk it may pose for not only teenagers, but everybody involved. Uh, Were you about to say something before we uh, move on to the topic?
0: Yeah, I, I could talk about TikTok all day, but one of the points that I want to make here is that the need to look into whether this presents a very real and incredible national security threat is one of the reasons that Montana's ban probably won't stand up in court, right? It is within the jurisdiction of the federal government to conduct that assessment about the threat that TikTok poses to national security. Montana hasn't done that. Montana's not doing that, right? So, um, you know, I, I we're, we're watching the challenge closely, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that law strike down.
1: Yeah, me neither, to be honest. But, um, all right, with that said, like I said earlier in, uh, in the introduction, we're going to be talking about social media and uh, its usage in reference to more specifically teenagers and younger. So let's start it off with having you, Chris, kind of – Indicate what your position is and what uh, what you're talking about.
0: Sure. I mean, I'll start with a, an overview of what we see happening in the social media regulatory landscape. Right now, I would say there's a major battle going on in state legislatures across the country about teen access to social media. From a 20,000-foot view, our stance is pretty simple. We oppose legislation that would endanger the privacy of online users and isolate teens from needed online support. We wanna make sure that young adults can connect with peers online who identify like they do and that teens have access to helpful information and resources on the internet.
1: All right, and when you say teens, I think this is always like important to dictate because sometimes people put teens there and like, okay, are you talking about like a 13 year old or are you talking about like an 18 year old? So are you referring to like everybody below 20 or like everybody below 18 like or do you yeah basically kind of No this is this is a this is a
0: really good question here.
1: Stop right there. Yes, this is a little mini ad. Don't skip. Don't skip. All I want to tell you right now is that at the end of the day when it comes down to all the discussions I want to have I want to be able to communicate with you the audience I want to be able to relay a message and receive a message from everyone and try to come up with these great solutions that I keep on talking about so if you want to be part of the community make sure you go to the website. And sign up for not only the email list so you can get weekly emails from me for the podcast episode, informational sessions, all that great stuff, but also sign up to go on my Discord so you can be part of the discussions, debates on my live streams. So be sure to go to the website www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com and go to the email list, sign up and go to the Discord and join the server. Now back to the episode.
0: Because a lot of the social media laws that we're seeing propagate in the state legislatures, and in some cases pass, don't distinguish between a 17-year-old and a 10-year-old, right? Which is, there's a very big difference there in what those groups should be able to access online generally. Um, But when I say teens, I would say, I I mean uh, 13-year-olds to 17-year-olds, so minors, legally minors um uh that we're referring to that's most of who who these laws would apply to because largely uh uh children under the age of 13 are not allowed on social media platforms currently they aren't allowed well, they're
1: on, not supposed to be allowed they're, they're not they're certainly
0: be- not supposed to be allowed on social media platforms yeah. yeah um but these laws would apply additional restrictions to 13 to 17 year olds uh who find themselves on social media
1: okay so um well, I like to do this exercise because I think this kind of puts things in perspective. I always do this for every person that comes involved, especially when there's a topic of discussion that's being discussed. Yeah. So can you elicit, before you start listening to the laws you're referring to, can you elicit the pros and cons of social media usage for teenagers?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I think that I'll, I'll, I'll frame this up by saying that last week, the surgeon general came out with a new report about yeah. the pros some of the pros and cons of uh, the use of social media for for children and teens right one of the pros that we see is that most teens and most children who use social media report having a positive experience report developing connections with friends and having an outlet for creativity right and to express themselves we also see higher benefits of using social media for some groups over others right uh, lgbtq teens for instance report actually higher mental health benefits for using social media than just the general population of teens one of the reasons is because they're able to connect with people who identify like themselves online and find supportive communities who can help them through what they're going through, right? Uh, there are, of course, some negatives to problematic social media use. Uh, teens have reported, obviously, some mental mental health uh, problems from too much social media use, and spending too much time online can also take teens away from their family and take teens away from engaging in real-world activities. So there are drawbacks as well. Um, but on the whole, again, we see teens reporting a positive experience with social media.
1: Okay, all right. All right, with that said, um, what 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 do you have in mind referencing the laws and social media? Can you dive into that?
0: Yeah, so so we've seen a wave of state and federal legislation pop up this year related to teen use of social media, right? And I would say... One of the first laws that we saw was in Utah. Um, Utah proposed a parental control law that would require parents to sign off on their children creating a social media account in their state. And it would also require social media platforms to verify the age of any user using their site, right? That presents two major problems, right? One is a privacy issue. Uh, And this is an issue that we see again and again with any law that requires social media platforms or online platforms to apply different standards to young users than to old users. These laws require age verification and to verify the age of a user in order to protect a company from liability, they need to collect personal identifying information, Right. Uh, So you got to show your ID to get in, right? That's one thing if you're walking into a convenience store and buying, let's say, an adult magazine or a lottery ticket, right? Because those convenience stores, for the most part, the clerk will check it out, give it back to you, and that's it, your information's gone. If you are entering your personal identifying information at the doorstep of every website you go to, that creates a lot of privacy risks for you. You're exposing your personal information online in a lot of different places, right? And so that's going to expose you to a lot of cyber risks. Um, And that's not just for children. The adults are are exposed to the same risk because if you're logging into social media, You know, the social media site's not going to know if you're a 14-year-old or a 41-year-old. So if I'm, you know, logging into social media, they're going to need an ID from me just as much as they're going to need an ID from a teen user. So everybody sees those privacy risks when online platforms are required to offer separate services and verify the age of young users, right? So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that when you create parental consent requirements, you... Uh, assume that all teens have supportive parents that keep the best interests of their children in mind. Let's just take the state of Utah, which was, again, the first state to sort of pass this parental control legislation. In Utah, there's something like more than 10,000 cases of confirmed child abuse every year, right? Those are children who have a real need to access online communities and find support online, who are then cut off from that access by a parent who, you know, is abusive or doesn't keep their best interests in mind, right? Uh, But it's not just teens who live in abusive households, it's LGBTQ teens are another fantastic example, right? Again, this is a community that actually sees more benefits from social media than even your average teen. But a lot of LGBTQ teens don't live in a household with a parent who recognizes their gender identity or who supports, you know, how they identify, right? So how will they create an online social media profile uh, and connect with peers who identify like themselves um, or connect with even online information to learn about what they're going through, right? Right that's gonna become harder. Basically, these laws isolate teens by giving parents the keys to uh, a teenager's social media account. And again, they don't treat teens who are say 17 years old any differently than they treat a child who's 10 years old, right? And oh, yeah. we all know that a 17 year old requires a little bit more independence and a, and a little bit more autonomy than say a 10 year old. So. Utah's social media law actually goes far enough that it requires parents to have access to a teen's private messages, to their DMs, right? In some cases, especially for a very young user, that makes sense as being something that would be important. But there's a level of privacy that teens also expect today when they're communicating online or when they're communicating in person, right? Uh, And especially for some teens, again, teens, again, who don't have supportive parents, there's there's a real need for that privacy
1: okay so i want to kind of dive into this a little bit cuz inherently i don't i don't know where i stand in terms of parents and and their autonomy over their own kids for, when it comes to social media as of yet but i'm i'm kind of mm-hmm. thinking it through so the first thing that i want to kind of uh you know play devil's advocate about is you reference the the identification thing, um, I do think it's I do think in terms of providing identification will be tough in the first place for kids specifically. Until you're like 16, you're not gonna have a driver's license. 15, 14, 13, most teens do not have like a state ID. I don't really know any teens that have that in the first place. So unless you're putting like I don't know your birth certificate online, then I don't know how they're going to identify that. So that definitely will be a very tough thing to identify um, in terms of like putting like documented identification online. But with that said, do you believe that this documented identification they put online um, in terms of the risk factor uh, is any more risky than any other personal information you put online in the first place? Like when you go on social media and you kind of talk and kind of talk about who you are and everything, especially when it comes down to um, you're not using the proper kind of like, I uh, you know, two factor authentication and, you know, you have a very easy password like, hey, I'm just going to use password as my password because I'm 15 and I don't know better. Do you really do you really think that what th- that kind of next step is going to really change that much in reference to the risk factor that they're going to go through in the first place?
0: That's a really good question. And I would say, first of all, yes, there is a big difference in the information that I choose to upload when I'm creating a social media account. I'm not putting my driver's license number online. I'm not putting my social security number on Facebook, right? I have my first and my last name in the city I live in, but beyond that, I'm not putting my contact information in there oftentimes, right? And so there is there is certainly uh, more personal identifying information that social media and online platforms could be required to access in order to legally verify that you are above a certain age, so that they can avoid being sued by the state. Right? They're going to have to go beyond collecting your email address in the city you live in. And the second uh, the second thing I would say is that, yes, some users might choose to upload more information about themselves, right? More pictures with their friends or, you know, something that, uh, say, a, some sort of a hacker could identify information about them from a picture and use that to commit identity theft or something like that, right? But there is no choice that users are being given to uh, avoid uploading that sort of information with these kind of age verification laws in place. You wanna access email, show your personal identifying information. You wanna access Facebook, you wanna access Twitter, you wanna access YouTube, any of these major online social media platforms, you have to show your ID. And that's not a choice that a user can make, right? Whereas I choose to upload you know, a certain photo to Facebook. I don't have that choice if there's an age verification law in place about showing my ID.
1: Okay. Yeah, overall, now, when I'm thinking through it, I will say that when it comes down to it, the expectation for a teenager to put their ID or birth certificate online and then an adult, I'll never want it. I'll never do that. So exactly. it's, like...
0: it's, it's not just a teenager. It would be adults that would be required to show their ID as well, right? Because before you show your ID... How's a social media platform to know if you're a teen who they're supposed to be IDing or if you're or an, you adult. Know, yeah, an adult like us, right? So it's everyone. It's everyone who these privacy risks would apply to.
1: Right. Well, I think when you approach it that way, I mean, especially since, you know, adults are the ones that are going to make the decisions, not these teenagers in the first place. I think most of them going to would be not in favor of just putting their personal information just to sign up for a social media account I, I do want to clarify something when you're referring to social media um because there's a lot of things that fall under the moniker of social media right youtube falls under the moniker of social media so we're referring to mostly like the more communicative social media platforms like a twitter or facebook or instagram or for example
0: depends or on we talk about like everything about. oh it depends on which law you're talking about Okay. Oftentimes, these laws uh, have a requirement of a certain amount of monthly active users for any platform that they apply to. In some cases, they explicitly exclude email. Uh, in you know each each law has its own set of requirements about what platforms it applies to, right? But one of the issues, as we see these laws pop up in a number of different states, is that it is very difficult for online platforms to uh, assess with certainty which state a user is coming from. So sometimes when a state enacts internet restrictions that require, say, a show identification or it eliminates my ability to see a certain type of content online, regardless of whether I live in Utah or not, that restriction can end up applying to me downstream. You know, that's one of the issues that we see with, you know, when you log on to a website, you always get this pop-up that asks you uh, whether you want to accept cookies or deny cookies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of those restrictions were first actually enacted in the European Union. Um, but because of the way that the internet works without borders, uh, we end up seeing those restrictions pass in one state and then, and uh, end up, they end up applying to the entire country as a whole, right? Because rather than trying to discern which state I'm coming from, the, uh, these internet platforms will just apply them to any U.S. user. Okay.
1: Understood. Understood. Uh the second part that you mentioned, I think it was referencing parents' access to the social media accounts of the
0: teenagers themselves now how you know, it isolates teens from from accessing you know content and connections that can be important to them, yeah
1: right, so my thing about that is a little bit different, I would say because when it comes down to it, i mean obviously when it when you're referencing you know abusive households uh the social media platform. Basically, anything that is not dealing with the home is an escape from what you're going through in, in reality. But when you're thinking about the the job of the parents, the responsibility of the parents, one big thing that I am always an advocate for, um, especially when it comes to social media, because I personally believe that like my generation uh, and like, generations around me relatively, the ones that kind of grew up where social media really wasn't a thing, and then we're growing up and now social media really is a thing. We kind of understand the nuances of non-social media versus social media. So my big thing that I always try to tell people is now you're the parent, you understand how harmful social media can be. So you need to start parenting, moderate that, A, my four-year-old probably shouldn't be on the tablet all the time. A, my 12-year-old probably should actually interact with people, not interact with the internet all the time. So my thing is in terms of, parental responsibility that is that they should be very much involved with what their kids are doing, what their teenagers are doing. Um, yeah. Kind of similar to like uh, knowing, having the location automatically inputted on your phone, knowing where your kid is at all times, just in case something crazy happens, right? So in reference to that, in terms of individual parent responsibility, how do you kind of argue or kind of explain the other side to a parent who says, I want to be involved with what my kid is doing. I want to make sure they're not doing anything crazy. They don't know better anyway. They're a child.
0: They should. Absolutely. I'm in full support of parents who want to monitor how much their kids are using devices and using social media services. Uh, And there are a lot of safety controls that today's larger platforms like Facebook actually do offer to parents whose children are on social media so they can be notified when their child goes over a certain time limit or when their child is interacting with say risky people online right so those some of those controls do exist on these larger social media platforms already right but eliminating the option for privacy especially for older teens gets into an area where you really are isolating some kids from, uh, again, peers and information and resources that it's helpful for them to interact with. And while I agree that it could be somewhat helpful for, you know, let's say 70% of parents to have access to even greater control over their kids' social media, there's 30% of households where this could be actively harmful. Right. And that's kind of what we're speaking out about isn't just, you know, the 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 average everyday parent who says, well, I want to monitor my kids social media use. That makes sense. Uh, And listen, I'm not a parent, but I do recognize that that's got to be really difficult in today's day and age. I'm sure it has to be. Uh, At the same time, we do have to look out for laws that could harm marginalized teens teens living in a household without a parent that looks out for them, with an abusive parent, or the parent who doesn't recognize their gender identity, right? Some of these laws, so Utah's law, again, was one of the first laws to pass um, that provided these parental controls to households. Texas has followed that up with their own law that also provides a form of parental control, right? Right. It says that for any known minor who's on social media, a social media platform has to provide their parent with basically full control over their account. So a parent could shut the account down or, you know, disactivate the account. So rather than like it being a sign off to create the account, a parent always has to be in control of a known minor's account under this new Texas law. But the Texas law also goes farther than just providing parental control. And it starts getting into a, uh, it creates actually a ban list, a ban list of content for teen users, right? And some of that content does make some sense, right? We don't want teen users seeing, say, self-harm content on the internet. We don't want teen users seeing um, uh, eating disorder content on the internet. But the ban list also includes some questionable, questionable stuff, right? It includes it includes a reference to "quote unquote" grooming content, right? Okay. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the book bans that are passing in conservative states across the country, targeting specifically targeting LGBTQ literature, right? right? Uh, and the librarians who've been prosecuted and persecuted under these laws. Right. But they're often persecuted under the guise of quote unquote grooming young kids. Right. When they're in fact, librarians offering, offering teens access to LGBTQ resources. Right. Okay. So I, I see these, I see some of these new social media laws, parental control laws as almost an extension of uh, some of these book bans in conservative states because they serve the same purpose. They provide conservative parents especially more control as our country you know, works to recognize uh, LGBTQ people uh, with more equal rights, right? Uh, it provides them with tools in what they view as a culture war. Uh, and what I view at times as a war often on LGBTQ people, right? So when Texas passes a law that would prohibit social media platforms from hosting teens on a site where they can see quote unquote grooming content, what I see is an opportunity for Texas's attorney general to sue major social media platforms to take down LGBTQ content that teens might be able to see. And there's no reason to believe that won't happen when we already see conservative lawmakers suing to take books out of libraries that provide resources to these kids, okay. right? So I see it as all kind of part of the same movement in some sense.
1: Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. And before I want to tackle those two prawns, I have a question. So my question is how, if you know, obviously, how is like, a state like Texas going to enforce these bans on specific content on social media. Yeah. In specific states. How do they enforce
0: that? In specific states? Uh I'm not sure. What do you mean in specific states?
1: Because obviously this te- this ban in reference to Texas is specifically Texas. Like but I But the cross- internet's
0: not specifically Texas.
1: Exactly. So yes. the moment I cross border lines, I'm like, okay, does my does my social media just change automatically to now give me the access to the content? I'm curious, like how do they even enforce this specific ban?
0: Well, the way they enforce it is that the attorney general, uh, it's not, it's there's there's no individual right of action, so it wouldn't be parents suing under this law, but I believe the attorney general would sue a social media platform if a Texas teen is able to see. Uh, that content on their ban list, right? And so for social media platforms who can have trouble distinguishing between a Texas user and a Utah user, it's very difficult serving them, you know, a different set of content when you cross a state line, as you said. The thing that they would probably be forced to do to avoid liability entirely is to take down any content that could make them liable. So... If you are a lawyer at a social media platform, the thing you do to avoid getting sued by the Texas AG is you self-censor and you remove LGBTQ content is probably what they would be forced to do to avoid being sued under the law, right? Which would, again, be extremely harmful, I think, to teens.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that's what I assumed. And one thing I want to tackle the the content moderation thing first before I tackle the, the other part is... I will never agree, especially when it comes to social media, when the government, state or federal, starts implementing this is this is the content you're allowed to see and this is the content you're not allowed to see. Because once you start towing that line, that's when it gets into problematic territory because their kind of decisions based on what content they deem acceptable, obviously, I feel like mostly in terms of society – we kind of know certain lines that we shouldn't cross like we're not going to put on tv someone brutally getting killed and all this crazy like we kind of know these lines but when they're like blurry like an lgbt yeah. st- situation where it's obviously gray but obviously conservatives or republicans may say no this is like satan's work or whatever so, i mean to me that's
0: not blurry at all to me it's right so to you the first amendment right to post lgbtq content online and information right right
1: i'm saying it's blurry in the in the sense that society as a whole doesn't have a collective agreement on it but i think society as a whole has an agreement on some torture thing happening on the on online right or say
0: self-harm content
1: yeah self-harm like you said i think society as a whole knows hey we probably shouldn't people showing people self-harm um so this is an
0: interesting point and if i can if i can jump in here I think a lot of people, when they think about content moderation, they really think that these decisions are black and white and that a lot of the content that social media sites encounter is this black and white, like, well, it's someone murdering someone else. We've got to take it down, right? Um, There's a lot more gray area than I think your average user necessarily recognizes. And I'll give you an example, right? Congress passed a law several years ago called SESTA-FOSTA that cracked down on trafficking content online, right? Uh, so sex trafficking content. That right. seems seems like it could be helpful, right? Because you don't want people being trafficked against their wills uh, on, on the internet. Unfortunately, what that did was that it forced uh, platforms, internet platforms, to over-censor for sex trafficking content And it took some people who were in the profession practicing sex trafficking um, of their own volition on the internet safely. And it forced them out into the streets, right? Because they were no longer able to access internet platforms. So it had repercussions far beyond what Congress envisioned. And again, effectively, what, what you do when you create a ban list, when you ban a specific type of content online, internet platforms will almost always over-censor to avoid getting sued, right? They're going to take more content down than they necessarily have to because they don't want to face the lawsuit at the end of the day.
1: Okay. Um. What do you mean by like safe sef- sex trafficking? I did not understand what you meant by it when you said that, and then they were put on the streets. What did you mean by that?
0: Tor- I, sorry, I, I said sex trafficking. I did not mean sex tra- safe sex trafficking. I meant sex workers. Sex okay, that's what I
1: assumed. Like, sex workers just, I just not. had to clarify that point. Clarify. Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, I understand. So, the basically, you indicate sex trafficking obviously bad. They over-penalized. Uh, and then sex workers who did it safely yes. were also penalized because exactly. of it. So, yes. um, yeah, I understand that. I could definitely could think that uh, that's an issue. And I think um, – but I will say – that's something that would be ha- that probably would have to be worked out afterwards where these sex workers would have to make their point distinction in terms of uh hey what I'm doing is not the same as what what's going on here. Um I'm just talking about the the pros and I'm like pros and cons for this. Pros, more of this discussing content off con, this happens, but then we have to work on that, take the next step on trying to find a solution for the people who are affected by what happened um um next, right? uh so i definitely think that's one of the things because obviously these companies don't want to get sued and that's something you know you'll never be able to control because these companies will first and foremost look after themselves they they're going to see they're going to take care of their own self-interest um before anything else at the end of the day they're companies exactly um so in in response and uh reference to the content moderation point uh that i was making it's always going to be iffy because of the the moment you give them the power, the moment you kind of give them the inch, they may take that mile where these stage going like, okay, now I don't like this. I'm going to try to get this bad. You know, um, maybe something that will backfire for Texas. Texas wants to be all conservative and go like, okay, all this LGBTQ stuff off. Then we have a very lib state like California goes like, okay, I want all this conservative content off the platform. So it really doesn't help your side at the end of the day because you're setting a precedent that'll be bad for, you know, all states moving forward at the end of the day. So this is one of those things where unless you have unanimous agreement, like the self-harm stuff. Then we shouldn't be doing something like that. I do think it's different from book banning, though, because it's a physical object versus social media is so nuanced. It's a lot difficult, more difficult to kind of properly uh, enforce.
0: Sure. I just, I, I do, I, I think it's a similar set of um, activists and lawmakers who are advocating to kind of remove teen access to this material in school libraries or on the internet, right? It's it's some of the same information that they want to remove access to.
1: Right, I think the premise is the same. What I said, what I mean by what is different is that, like you said, if it's internet, then they'll overdo it and start banning it over everywhere. Whereas books, you can just physically get the books and get rid of them. So it's way harder for like uh for some to control that for social media.
0: That is true. Although book bans present their own problems, certainly. Yes, of Um, course. I I agree to that. Yeah. It, one one thing you said really really struck a chord with me, which is that both uh, Democratic and Republican lawmakers can go overboard if they're given the legal tools to require uh, online platforms to take down content down. Right. One great example of this is there was a bill proposed in Congress, uh, I think a couple years ago, that would require online platforms to take down health misinformation, right? What is health misinformation? You know, at the time it was proposed by a democratic lawmaker. So it would have probably applied under a democratic administration, under the Biden administration, to COVID-19 misinformation, right? But let's say the tables turn. Let's say that law's in place and a conservative president comes in the next year. How do they apply a law that gives them the legal tools to go after online platforms hosting, quote unquote, health misinformation, they could apply that to say, uh, reproductive healthcare information, something that I don't view as misinformation, but something that they might view as misinformation, right? So right. then, again, you're in the territory of taking down speech, giving these uh, politicians tools to over remove.
1: Do you want a great website like this? This is my podcast website, where I direct the audience to come to watch the content, listen to the content, read the blogs, and much, much more. If you want to have your own customizable podcast website, then join my affiliate link in my description to sign up for something called PodPage, and they can help you customize an easy podcast website for your personal podcast sign up to get a discount now again use the link in my description to join pod page now yeah yeah that's a great example where we reference to the COVID thing and the whole spectacle that came about especially when elon took over and put out the uh, twitter files for everybody to read and then people interpreted it so many different ways i read i was like okay i feel like people are overthinking what is going on here but you know it is what it is um, Go
0: ahead. I'm glad you brought up Elon, because I actually think that some information that came out this week is a little shed some light on how social media platforms, uh, how, how, how they're being pushed to improve content moderation to better serve users, right? And that is the fact that Twitter has suffered something like a 59% drop in ad revenue uh, since Elon Musk took over the platform right right. and that drop in ad revenue is directly related to a massive drop in users on the platform uh, who these companies want to advertise to right so in order for a company to gain users and grow their user base and grow their ad revenue they are incentivized to come up with a content moderation strategy that their users mostly like, right? People don't want to see this stuff that we can agree on is terrible, right? They don't want to see self-harm content. They don't want to see anti semitism and racism and violence when you log in to connect with friends on social media, right? So a platform that does a bad job of moderating for those things will probably see a drop in users and a drop in ad, ad revenue. And that's exactly what we're seeing at Twitter, right? So it didn't necessarily require a new law passed by Congress to penalize Twitter for decreasing content moderation, right? It just required a different content moderation strategy and the users will find a new social media platform. And what we're seeing today is actually kind of a proliferation of new social media platforms, right? A lot of people from our generation aren't using Facebook as much anymore. Yeah, Maybe they've gone to a different social media platform. I mean, they're a host of conservative social media platforms. You know, there's Parler and Truth Social, and now I would even almost classify Twitter as one, right? And then there's, you know, Mastodon. That's a new social media platform. Blue Sky, I'm not sure if you've heard of this. But uh, these are all new platforms. Some of them are also decentralized. They create different instances with admins that can moderate different parts of the platform with slightly different rules, so users can kind of pick their own flavor of content moderation within a social media platform, and so the private sector is answering a little bit of this question of how do we create an internet where people uh, uh, like and support the content moderation policies that are being implemented on the platform they're on.
1: This is a very interesting conversation. I think when it comes to like. Twitter specifically, the the conversation of whether or not Twitter should be—I uh, forget what they call it's like um like uh it's basically public square. Public square. There you go. Yeah, you knew exactly I knew it. what I was, I it was talking radio. about. Yeah. The 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 conversation of Twitter whether or not it should be a public square. Um, my thing is when it came to Elon, my biggest issue or my the reason why I think Twitter is having an issue is mostly because of elon musk and his decision to choose a side i think once you're when you're the owner when you're the face of the platform that's supposed to be the public square and it's very obvious that you lean conservative red and republican you're obviously going to uh, deter all the people from the left, all the people that are blue. You're going to deter them because they're going to think, oh, yeah, this guy's a racist or whatever. Whether or not they're right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. Their interpretation will be that, and then they'll choose not to use your platform. Um, even if people had issues with how Twitter used to be, they never kind of announced themselves as one way or the other. You may have your interpretation of you know whatnot, but it's way better – to make it ambiguous on what the platform kind of represents instead of leaning aside. That's why that's what, but that's what I think is the biggest fall of Twitter, even though I don't like, I don't, I think Twitter has more issues that's related to people who use Twitter. But I think in terms of the ad revenue, I think it's mostly because of like Elon decides to go on this escapade, even though it was not smart. And it's not even smart for his own company, Tesla, like he's not doing a good job in rep, in terms of like appealing to the people that he wants to appeal to. Well, he's running a space
0: company too, so he's got. Yeah. yeah,
1: you're supposed to be ambiguous. That way, you don't have to have these issues. But Elon Musk is always on Twitter having these
0: political debates for no reason. I don't know why he's doing that. I I don't think you have to be ambiguous, right? But you have to recognize the sacrifices that come with not being ambiguous. If you want to be a public square, you can on the internet, right? But people are going to leave if they don't like what they see in that public square and they're gonna find somewhere else to spend their time online, right? So I think as we kind of continue, as the internet continues to proliferate, as we continue to see social media platforms proliferate, we're gonna see more different content moderation strategies and people will be able to uh, find a platform that suits their flavor of content moderation where they don't have to see the say you know, far right uh, anti-LGBTQ content that they don't want to see. Uh, and uh, I believe that's actually most users, right? So I, I think that if you want to attract users, you want to have a really big platform. What you probably want to do is have a fair amount of content moderation to kind of tamp down the extremism. There's a, there's a theory, uh, that's, you know, passed around the internet that, uh, Social media platform can be similar to a bar in some ways, right? In that, you know, once once you let a few Nazis in the door, you become known as the Nazi bar. You know, you all you have to have is a couple Nazis that come there regularly to be known as the Nazi bar, right? Yeah, and, very true. And nobody wants to go to the Nazi bar, is the thing, right? So you need um, kind of that uh, that that thoughtful. Uh, powerful content moderation apparatus uh, to build and grow one of the larger user bases online. So what I
1: will say in reference to that, I do think content moderation should be very thoughtful and it should be very, um, you know, appropriate in terms of what they decide to, you know, take off or ban or whatever. Um, My thing is I, I agree with the sentiment that people want to see, what they want to see, obviously that's why now they want we're to see the their website.
0: friends, they want to connect with people, yeah they, people they want to see that
1: people that that's like them yeah. but I think the biggest value of social media was the aspect of meeting people that were not like you I think as we keep on going in this direction where then this could be hand in hand why America seems to be becoming more divis- uh, defi- divis- divisive 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 um, as a country, is because it's now easier and easier to go more and more into your niche ideology. And my thing is, is basically doing the exact same thing that, you know, it was before the internet, where you are, uh, only know the people around you, only know your community. Now it's easier to find people that are exactly like you in the ideology that you kind of uh, emanate. But my thing is, is that The value of social media at the end of the day shouldn't be okay. I want to find all the people that is only cares about what I think. It should be, it should be, um, opening your perspective, opening up your experience, and bringing in all of that to have a more wide encompassing, uh, point of view and thought process. I think the biggest reason why we have a lot of issues in terms of like conflict, not like violent conflict compared to other places but in terms of social conflict is because people are so into their own way of thinking that they're not even willing to even entertain the other side so i agree that that's what people want but i don't think that's what people should have or that's what people need in terms of like how people interact that's my personal opinion
0: yeah no i mean i i definitely i agree with you that it's helpful to not have you know Uh, everybody off in their own bubble right but i also think that to engage civilly on the internet there actually needs to be a lot of content moderation because sometimes as we see on twitter people resort to just personal attacks bigotry and hate speech when they get in a disagreement on twitter and you can't have a productive dialogue when that's the content that proliferates people are very nasty on twitter i definitely agree to that
1: uh it's kind of weird how companies are going such drastic directions because for example got twitch it was one way obviously leaned a very specific way and people were upset so what happened they made kick and they made rumble what happened when they made rumble rumble was like okay i want to be so different from twitch what happened when you were so different okay i'm just gonna drop a bunch of uh nazi stuff and n-words and all that (laughs) stuff i'm like Do people just not know like middle ground? Do you not know like the moderation of okay? I don't want to be too go too far and really just lean this one way or that way. Is just like it's either all the way left, all the way right, and no in between. And that's that's what social media. It does does sometimes feel
0: like there's a. It does sometimes feel like there's a disappearing middle ground. I hear you.
1: Yep, and I definitely think so. Um. Another aspect that you kind of mentioned, um, was in reference to, uh, parents and having access to their kids, social media and whether or not they would shut it down. Why is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't, for me, I don't really see, like, I don't see the difference between them just taking away their kid's phone or turning off the internet. I don't really see the difference between that and what they did before.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that there is a level of privacy that comes with, say, a young adult, say a 17-year-old creating a social media account, uh, especially a marginalized teen, and what they're able to say to their peers online, and who they're able to connect with, and what their profile looks like, right? There's a difference between a parent necessarily, say, monitoring how much time a teen is spending on their phone and taking the phone away, and the teen monitoring, what is the profile that they just created look like? What are the pronouns that they're using look like? What are the messages that they're sending to their friends look like? Are they accessing LGBTQ resources online, right? Again, we see harms, uh, you know, in the future for marginalized teens and teens from LGBTQ communities, teens without supportive parents, if you provide these parents with more controls uh, to access their teens social media accounts so while it might be well these tools could be helpful for some for some parents and their children uh, they could definitely uh, be harmful to to other teens
1: I definitely see where you're coming from um, I'm just thinking on the aspect of is it is it really? will you will really see a situation, especially in reference to what they already can do, where giving them more control over the social media will be any different from what they could do in terms of taking the phone away or turning off the internet? Especially Unless like, this teen is really just living how the parents want them to, and then only on the internet they're living the LGBT kind of lifestyle, where the, the parents have absolutely no idea, then I could see that. But I feel like, even if the parent once the parent finds any type of like distinction between what you how you're acting versus my values, because we all know that there's a lot of crazy like really strict far right people or very strict religious people who mm-hmm. have a way of life, mm-hmm. but it's not like I don't see the teen being able to hide that up until they're 17. Um, eventually, this parent's gonna find out, and they're gonna choose. They're gonna act appropriately. So I don't really see. I I mean I guess.
0: Well, I mean, first of all, a lot of teens don't even start exploring their identity until they're 17, right? Um, And then I would also say that most, you know, research shows that a lot of LGBTQ teens um, first start their journey of exploring their identity online and not in the real world. So that often is their first interaction with a lot of these communities um, and connecting with peers who identify like they do. Right. Um, and it especially applies, again, in every social media law, all these different teen digital social media laws that we're seeing pop up in these states are a little bit different from the from the next. Right. All right. Uh, some some are more severe. Utah's, again, for instance, in Utahs, uh, it requires social media platforms to allow parents to read DMs between their children and their peers. So that again, could could really create problems for some of those marginalized teens. I you know at the end of the day, I am not an LGBTQ person. I didn't have this journey myself. I only know you know what I've what I've read in the research about how social media can provide uh, kind of a support network uh, for what these teens are going through. Right.
1: I definitely understand. The only reason why I'm offering this devil advocate is because I'm thinking like the realistic nature of how this would go about. And like, if the parents really wanted to read the DMs, they're going to read the DMs. It seems not going to stop them from reading the DMs. They are just going to take the phone away and read the DMs. Like the pen team is not going to say no. It's not like, it's like, I don't
0: think a lot of parents actually are want
1: to. I don't think none of them want to in the first place. I them like, does this really change how they're going to act in terms of a parent in the first place? Because if a parent wants to, they're going to, if a parent doesn't care, they're not going to care anyway.
0: I, you know, I don't think a lot of, uh, a lot of parents are, are necessarily, uh, up to speed with the social media platforms that their you know teens especially late teens are using to connect with people on the internet right and that dynamic absolutely changes if you're required to get parental consent when you log into a new social media platform right uh, now you're not you're not just monitoring say Facebook you're monitoring their blue sky access you're monitoring their snapchat access you're monitoring their twitch right how many parents probably uh, consider the time their teen spends on on Twitch, on a platform like Twitch, right? I think parents probably today think about your main three social media platforms in terms of what they should be uh, keeping their eye on on their teen's phone. And so I think there is a level of privacy that exists today just because teens live in a different world from their parents. I know when I was 17, my parents, you know, didn't know... How I connected with my friends on IM or what programs I used to download music. If I if I told my parents about LimeWire, I don't think they had any idea. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's very true, very true.
1: Um, I hundred percent, and this is the last thing that you can respond if you want, and then we can move on to the next uh, next thing. I hundred percent agree that the generational difference they the parents will never truly understand. What is going on and i don't even know i can't even say what percentage of parents will be like cool with it or anything like that my only thing in reference to the parents and the and the kids stuff is that as of right now like you said the parents not going to know and with how social media is i think current social media moving forward is having more and more of an influence and more and more of an impact on how these kids grow up how these teenagers grow up and how they are as people the the impact of social media is wide encompassing more so and then it's kind of like and and i've kind of done my own kind of th- research about it it's kind of like how public education was back then and how it influences the the children growing up more so than the parents. That's how I kind of believe social media is now and how much kids are actually using it and how social media and its platforms are now, especially since you can kind of pick your lane. It's not a, it's not a public square anymore. Like Twitter is kind of losing the public square notoriety. Now you could just pick a specific place to go and then just get delved into that very, very deeply. So that's why I think parents should have more of a, uh, role and how their kid grows up because I think they did to their parents. Now I will say there will be those parents that don't understand. There will be those bigoted parents that will maybe super conservative and they have a gay child and they don't want them to be gay. Um, but on the flip side, you can have a situation and we've seen it on social media, or you can have a person who's super LGBTQ and the kid just wants to be straight and they don't want them to be like that. We've seen that on social media too. These are exceptions, but they do happen. So I'm just talking, when I'm talking about these situations, I don't think parents should have like a, I don't think they should be like authoritarian over their kids' social media, but if we can get them more involved in different ways, especially help them like understand what is going on with my kids and what they're consuming, I think that will be very important. More so at the very least, more so than the state government's deciding what content moderation is going on.
0: Yeah. You know, you bring up a lot of good points. At the end of the day, there does need to be a serious conversation between parents and their kids about responsible social media use. And it's a good thing that we see a lot of these social media platforms, again, offering increased tools as they face this regulatory pressure to parents in order to monitor their children's social media use. But when it comes to these bills... It is it is it is an assessment of do the benefits outweigh the harms. Sure. In yeah. our assessment, we believe that the privacy harms, requiring everybody to show their ID at the door of these social media yeah. websites, that the harms to marginalized teens and teens who don't have supportive parents outweigh the benefits of these laws. So
1: Definitely understand. Definitely understand. Are there any? Um... Other like laws that we haven't discussed in referencing social media.
0: Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to just say tech laws, and I was like, I, I that would work, that would require a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree, I uh, agree. Uh, social media laws, I mean, there's you know a bill proposed at the federal level that would implement uh, a similar parental control measure uh, across the country that is probably not going anywhere in this Congress. The most action we're seeing, the most bills we're seeing pass, is all at the state level. It's happening in states. And largely, these parental control laws are passing in Republican states rather than Democratic states. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah. The other area of social media and content moderation that is still up for debate right now, that is still being considered, are related to uh, laws that prohibit social media platforms from moderating content and specifically political content. Right. So yeah. a couple of years ago, Florida and Texas passed laws that would prohibit social media platforms from taking down political viewpoints. Right. All right. And the laws say this in different ways, right? Like through Florida's law, prohibits any social media platform from taking down any political candidate you can't if they're running for office you can't take them off your platform texas's law prohibits you from taking down content posts that are political viewpoints of course at the end of the day what is a political viewpoint right right Gotta very to hard to, very hard to define it's nazism a political viewpoint because Again, we should be taking that stuff down. Viewers don't want to see that. Users don't want to see that. It's not helpful to our political discourse, right? So those laws those laws are actually going through the courts right now who are kind of going to make the other important half of this decision, aside from what state lawmakers are doing, on what regulations social media platforms face and the content that they can show us, right? These courts are determining right now whether those laws are in violation of the first amendment because again um you know the first amendment applies not only to what we can say but what we can see in this case the courts are considering whether these laws prohibiting content moderation violate the first amendment rights of the social media platforms themselves right which have a first amendment right to determine what they host on their own page Right, What kind of page they, what kind of uh, content they're willing to publish. Because you cannot force publishers uh, to publish speech that they don't want to publish.
1: Yeah. That's very interesting. Obviously, this is something that's more of a conservative uh, thing that they wanted to push for obvious reasons. But I'm curious to something like The Daily Wire. Would they publish left-leaning material on their platform is, is my question. I wonder what their thoughts about that would be and referencing that. Well, if we
0: force them to, it'd be a violation of the First Amendment. So
1: yeah, so I mean, that's that's that. I'll, that's why I feel like a lot of this terminology definitely needs to be kind of distinguished. I don't know, like you said, do they have lines in the sand on what is a political viewpoint, as they say, um, to make sure that we're not putting out, you know, very disgusting thing? I see some people who like defend the First Amendment. Um, say, like, oh, yeah, we should have everything. Um, and I have like conversations about all the amendments and I, I have like um, deep conversations, but I feel like, you know, there are certain things we don't
0: need on the platform. I, I don't yeah. think, well, we need you know, everything. as they debated this Texas law, so as they debated this Texas law, there were amendments that were brought up to the bill that would have carved out, say, anti Semitism. I think that was specifically one of the amendments from the legislation allowing platforms to
1: are you enjoying today's podcast episode i really hope you do and i really hope you enjoy the fact that i have an amazing guest talking with me and having this great discussion if you as an individual personally have your own podcast and maybe you want to have great guests on your podcast as well well i got a deal for you In my description, there is a link to something called Podmatch. Make sure to join that link through my affiliate link so you can sign up to get matched up with other podcast hosts and podcast guests. So you make sure you are never missing an episode without a productive guest to have an amazing conversation with. Podmatch is similar to any other kind of matching site for the most part. And it's super easy you. Just $6 a month and you can have a guest for each and every podcast episode that is tailored to your specific topic. So again, join the link in my description and join Podmatch now.
0: Sorry, so I'm not sure where I left off. But the Texas Um, legislature was considering considering amendments to... Uh, to this social media law that would prohibit platforms from taking down viewpoints, one of the amendments said that anti-Semitism would be accepted, that platforms would be allowed to take down anti-Semitic content even if it was a "quote unquote" viewpoint, and that that amendment at the end of the day wasn't accepted, right? So, with the law in effect, would platforms be able to actually take that content down? It's a question at the end of the day that the courts would have to decide, but. To me, again, it's it would it's much better to have to leave platforms with the room to take down that harmful content.
1: Yeah, I'm curious on how that kind of plays about with the because uh, recently there was like an anti-Semitism law that was passed or um, or put in place to kind of ensure that we're teaching more about you know that's not okay. You know, basically, that's that's what they're trying to do with it. So you're de- they're definitely I'm trying to push birdie. that out. Um, well, I just hadn't heard of it. Yeah, no, it's all good. I mean, makes sense, you know, especially with, you know, Kanye doing what he was doing. So, yeah. you know, obviously they're going to put that in place to make sure, you know, a specific group of people aren't attacked, uh, because it seemed like it was growing a little bit. Um, It'll thing... be the
0: Supreme Court that decides these laws too, by the way, uh, is where it's all headed. So it will be interesting to see, especially with a conservative Supreme Court what they decide about these laws passed by Texas and Florida.
1: Yeah. I'll be very interested to see what they decide to do. So my last thing in reference to, you know, the discussion that we're having over here is for you personally, in terms of social media laws and how they should be implemented for teens, what do you think is the most ideal um, way that social media should be used and maybe regulated for teenage use Moving forward, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, I would like to see. You know, one of the laws that we supported passing recently earlier this year uh, provided additional funding for the National Institutes of Health to research the impact of social media on teen users to get more information about where any mental health impacts are coming in, how we can protect these users effectively and where social media can be beneficial, right? And, and how we should be protect, protecting that beneficial access. So I think that as we see that research come to fruition, again, that funding actually passed, so that's great news. As we see that NIH research come to fruition, I'm excited to see that, and I think that that will be helpful in implementing some of these policies. Um, when it comes to teen use of social media, I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is again that when we require online platforms to implement separate services and protections and safeguards for young users than they do for adult users, and we require age verification, we create privacy risks, right? So wherever we can provide uh, basically protections that apply to the entire public, rather than just for teens, That's helpful, and it actually avoids creating additional risks for users. So privacy is one great example, right? If we want to pass privacy protections, we should pass them for adult users, for teen users. It shouldn't matter what age you are to have your personal data protected online. There should be a holistic federal law that protects the privacy of your personal data, right? If we create separate safeguards, for teen users again you actually expose them to more risks because we all have to you know agree to an age verification process and there is no age verification process that protects your personal data so all right excellent yeah yeah um... that, that would be my that would be my those would be my recommendation all
1: right, excellent. A lot of the a lot of what you said sounds very good, um, especially the uh, the parts of referencing mental illness because you remember the study. I did peep that study as well and how mental illness in uh, teens have uh, grown due, due to social media. Um, so, you know, my big thing in referencing social media um, that I've kind of been reinforcing a lot today is you don't need technically you don't even need any of these laws to be a parent right you don't need any of those laws to pay attention to what your kid's doing pay attention to how they're spending their time on social media and uh be involved in their life do not let the internet raise your kids you know do not let the internet raise your kids if you don't want to uh if you don't want them to grow up a certain way then i don't know maybe you know do some parenting so that's 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 my biggest thing in referencing social media, and that's why uh, I say that I feel like my generation or the generations that's close to me reference uh, relatively that grew up before social media, on the rise of social media. Now it's like peaking and even going even further up. I think we should have enough nuanced perspective to understand that social media can be very bad if it's used too much, I think we all understood this. So.
0: Problematic use is, is never good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. So um, that is all we got for today. I think this was an excellent discussion and um, referencing social media and teens. You have any uh, final words?
0: No, I just really appreciate you hosting me. And uh, I really appreciate the, the thoughtful, the thoughtful conversation on a hard issue. Right. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. I thought it was an excellent conversation to dive into and very uh, very nuanced when it comes to social media, especially in referencing the First Amendment and um, the rights of not only the people, but the corporations that are the social media companies and what rights they have to kind of elicit what kind of content on their uh, platforms, respectively.
0: Well, well listen, if on... you ever want to talk about uh, another tech policy, whether that's artificial intelligence or the deployment of autonomous vehicles, you know, we're ready. So,
1: Oh, yeah. AI is the topic of conversation today. Oh, man. I am don't know how I feel about AI. It's so helpful, but I'm like, I feel like there's so many ways this can go so bad. So,
0: Well, hot, hot, hot take of the day. I think AI is actually going to end up benefiting most of our workforce and that it's going to be more of an equalizer in the workplace than we expect. So. Hey, i'm willing to, to hear to it up. Massive job i'm ready to defend it <laughs> all right
1: i'm willing to hear it out because i know those terminator skeptics out there are kind of concerned yeah. I'm, I'm sure but hope you guys enjoyed today's episode per usual obviously you can find the um i guess information on the website rated five stars of course tune in for the next week episode you'll have a good one take care and peace.